The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 135, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, O you servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. He destroys the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and beast. He sends signs and wonders into the midst of you, O Egypt. Upon Pharaoh and all his servants, he defeated many nations and slew mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his people. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your fame, O Lord, throughout all generations. For the Lord will judge his people and he will have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them are like them, so is everyone who trusts in them. Bless the Lord, O house of Israel. Bless the Lord, O house of Aaron. Bless the Lord, O house of Levi. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. All right, we're in Deuteronomy 33. It's verses 23 through 29. This is entitled, Moses Blesses Israel, part four. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. And of Asher he said, Asher is most blessed of sons. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone. In a land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. For many years of my life, I would go to Massachusetts during the summer for a vacation with the family. I haven't been in several years because there just isn't time for me to attend to the church and take the time off that I used to take. In fact, I'm in what I would call a comfortable rut. Every Monday is pretty much exactly like every other Monday. The same is true with Tuesday and so on. The less change I have, the happier I am. And the more I am doing things for the church, the more content I am. But I remember one year while in Massachusetts, I was reading and found a newspaper commentary from the 1800s. In it, there was a survey of all of the favorite verses from the Bible as submitted to the paper by vote that year. I was curious which it would be. John 3:16, something from the Psalms, Philippians 4, 5 through 7, John 16:33, Romans 8:28. I could have sat there and thought up 100 verses that might have been the favorite verse to get people through their day and ground them in their spiritual lives. My first 100 guesses would have been wrong. So would my next 100 guesses. Our text verse comes from Deuteronomy 33. It's verse 27. 
The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Well, there you go. The most cherished verse from the Bible in the mid-1800s. Who would have thought that? It's not a verse that I have ever heard on any list of favorite verses at any time. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard anyone ever quote it. Ever. Until Burke did in a Bible study one week ago. <laughs> but after that day in Massachusetts, I have always cherished it as a favorite. It is a wonderful set of words in the English which more or less paraphrase the Hebrew. In fact, I put the verse on one of my favorite sunrise photos and have it hanging in the back kitchen there, right above the sink, if you go back there and look. Now, Beth asked me to take a sunrise photo and put it out on the front window, and so I did that, but you can't see through the tinting, so it was pointless, and that's why it's hanging in the kitchen. It is a verse I have patiently waited to include in a sermon for over 10 years now. It carries the weight in my mind of knowing it has impacted so many lives in our history. That means a lot to me. The Bible is simply filled with beauty and with verses that cause us to dig deeply to mine out precious treasure. What a treasure we have been given in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got uh, two thoughts for you today. The first is the blessing to Naphtali and Asher. It's verses 23 through 25. Verse 23, and of Naphtali he said, Ule Naphtali Amar, and to Naphtali he said. Naphtali is the second son born to Rachel's handmaid Bilhah, and sixth son born to Jacob. His older brother born to Bilhah, Dan, has already received his blessing, and his land is at the headwaters of the Jordan River, just north of Naphtali. The record of Naphtali's birth is found in Genesis 30. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali means my twisting or my wrestling. It's a word, patal, that means to twist things together. And when people are wrestling, of course, they're twisted together. Naphtali's inheritance is located on the west side of the Jordan, including all of the border of the Sea of Galilee. It extends all the way to the northern border of Canaan, and it is to the east of the inheritance of Asher, the final son to be named in these blessings. He is bordered on the south by Issachar and Zebulun. As such, the continued pattern from the east to the west and from the south to the north of Jerusalem continues in the blessing upon Naphtali. Now, Jim sent me a copy of a of the tribes of Israel this week, you know, originally how they were laid out, and I will include that in the sermon. I should have done this every sermon. I didn't think of it. I thought maybe in the last sermon I'd have a, a graphic showing it, but I don't know how to do that, and I didn't want to bother Sergio, who's busy. But if you follow the blessings and then look at that, map, you will see how it perfectly follows the pattern that I've given you. East to west, south to north, okay? It cannot be that this pattern was known to Moses at the time because the division of the land will not be completed until Joshua chapter 19. And so either these blessings were written long after it was claimed they were by someone other than Moses, which I do not believe, or they are divinely inspired by God and through Moses to reflect this carefully revealed order. To Naphtali, Moses next says, verse 23 continues, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor. Naphtali se va razon. Naphtali sated favor. It is as if he sits down to an enormous meal of God's favor and he becomes plump, filled with the goodness bestowed upon him. The hand of the Lord will bless the land even to overflowing with goodness. Of this land, and before Israel had resettled it, Robinson, meaning in about the 1800s or maybe a little earlier, Robinson said that it is an undulating tableland, arable and everywhere tilled with swelling hills covered with shrubs and trees. The words of Moses continue with a parallel thought to increase the wonder of what he will receive. Verse 23 continues, and full of the blessing of the Lord. Umale berkat Yehovah, and full blessing Yehovah. The words turn the previous clause into a superlative. Not only is Naphtali to be sated with favor, but that sating will be because of the blessing of the Lord. 
One could not imagine a more pleasant and jam-packed description of the abundance of goodness that will come upon him. And more, he shall, verse 23 continues, possess the West and the South. Yam vedorom yerasha, West and South, he shall inherit. The word yam has two specific meanings. First, it means sea, as in the Sea of Galilee or the Mediterranean Sea. Secondly, it means west, because the west of Canaan is bordered by the Mediterranean Sea. The layout of the land itself provides the secondary meaning of the directions of the compass. And this is because the layout of the temple, which is from east to west. As the most holy place is to the west, it is the direction of the sea in relation to Canaan. And so the translation of Yam as either sea or west must be determined based on the designation of the inheritance. As noted, the eastern border of Naphtali rests upon the west bank of the Jordan River, including the entire western bank of the Sea of Galilee. Thus, it could be speaking of the west in reference to the sea itself, or it could be speaking of the sea because the word Yam or sea is used elsewhere to describe the Sea of Galilee and they shall possess the western side of it. As such, it is hard to tell which meaning is being referred to. The next word, darom, or south, is now introduced into scripture. It is seen four times in poetic verses and then 13 times in the book of Ezekiel, especially in relation to the future temple that he envisions. It is from the same root as the word doror, which signifies release or liberty. The root means to move rapidly. I don't want to press the meaning too much, but it could be that this then refers to the north end of the inheritance, which is the south end of Dan's, which was the previous blessing given by Moses. That is where the Jordan River issues from. And more, it could also mean the south end of Naphtali's inheritance that borders the Jordan which is where the river continues to move south as the waters release from the Sea of Galilee. As such, inheriting the south would speak of both. The south of Dan, it's releasing into the Galilee, and the south of the Sea of Galilee is once again releasing into the Jordan. As the Jordan is the border of Canaan proper, it appears that the word yam may be a pun to convey both sea and west meaning the west bank of the Sea of Galilee and the west bank of the Jordan River. Hence, it is not speaking of the western border of Naphtali, but the eastern border of it, which is the western bank of the sea and the river. I know that's confusing. Look at a map and you'll have it all in front of you. The reason for all the detail is because it is in this area that Jesus accomplished a very large part of his ministry. It would then explain the ultimate meaning for the words sated, and full. It may have been true that the land provided many material blessings which filled the tribe, but ultimately the inheritance of this tribe received the greatest of all blessings when Christ came and ministered in this very region. Think of Capernaum. That's right there. Okay, all these places you see, they're all right in this inheritance. Matthew 4. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. After leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. As it is assumed that many of the apostles found their home in Naphtali, possessing the West and the South takes on an entirely different connotation. They went throughout the land of Israel, generally to the West and to the South, sharing the gospel and bringing those who heeded to be a part of the possession of the Lord. Okay, here's the breakdown. And to Naphtali, he said, A-A-B, Naphtali, sated favor, and full blessing, Yehovah, and then B, West and south, he shall inherit. With this blessing complete, we come to the final blessing of Moses upon the tribes of Israel, that of Asher. Verse 24, and of Asher, he said, Ule Asher Amar, and to Asher, he said. Asher is the second son born to Leah's handmaid Zilpah, and the eighth son born to Jacob. His older brother born to Bilhah, Gad, has already received his blessing. 
and his land is east of the Jordan River. The record of Asher's birth is found in Genesis 30. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Asher means happy and blessed, and she uses both words there. Asher's inheritance is located to the very northeast border of the land of Canaan. His eastern border is along the side of Naphtali and extends down to the border of Zebulun. His southern border merges with Zebulun and the western tribe of Manasseh. His northern border is the northern border of Canaan. His western border is the Mediterranean Sea. To Asher, Moses next says, verse 24 continues, Asher is most blessed of sons. Baruch mibanim Asher. Blessed from sons, Asher. The meaning is either Asher is blessed with children, Asher is blessed by the sons of Israel, or Asher is blessed above the sons of Israel. Any of those could be inferred from the, the words that Moses gives. The only other time that the term mibanim, or from sons, is seen in Scripture is in Isaiah. It says there, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of the sons and daughters. So that word me beneath there. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That is a comparative statement. And so I would conclude that Moses is saying that he will, he will be blessed above the other sons of Israel. Next, verse 24 continues, let him be favored by his brothers. Apart from the words to Reuben, the only jussive or indirect command in the entire chapter is seen in these words right here. Yehi retsui echav. May he be accepted, his brothers. Being a jussive, it is an indirect command. May he be is like saying, I want him to be. Okay? It is hard to imagine why he would say this as a type of command unless it is because Asher's allotment will be so far north and west from where the temple will ultimately be located that he could otherwise be ignored by all of the other tribes. For this or for some other reason that I can't figure out, Moses directs the other sons in showing favor to him. Verse 24 continues, and let him dip his foot in oil. Vetovel bashemen raglo, and let him dip in the oil his foot. The oil being referred to is that of the olive. The area where Asher settled would have a remarkable abundance of olives. When olive oil is abundant, it would be used to anoint oneself, especially upon the head. But Moses calls for such a blessing upon Asher that he would have enough oil even to anoint his foot. It is a way of saying, let him be blessed with such abundance even from head to toe. Having said this, it is because of this verse that Zion Oil and Gas is not only drilling elsewhere in Israel, which we've already talked about, but also in the area of Asher. The owner believes that this could be a prophetic picture of immense reserves of oil under the foot of Asher's land. Verse 25. Listen, if that happens, we're reading the newspaper one morning or looking online and we see that they have found oil in Israel. This world is going to change overnight. Get ready for that. Verse 25, your sandals shall be iron and bronze. There are two vying translations of these words. So your Bible that you're looking at right now may not match. Okay. Barzel u nechoshet minalecha. Iron and bronze, your sandals, or iron and bronze, your bars. The word minal is found only here in scripture, but it comes from naal, which means to bar, bolt, or lock. However, it's not that simple because the word is also translated as shoe, implying a sandal. That is found, for example, in 2 Chronicles 28. Here's what it says. Then the men who were designated by name rose up and took the captives, and from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them and gave them sandals. That word gave them food and drink and anointed them, and they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. One might originally think that bars would make more sense. It would imply security to have bars of iron and bronze. However, the verse is probably parallel to the previous clause. He set his foot in oil, and he has sandals of iron and bronze. Of these metals, iron represents strength, 
be it in binding together, in government, in hard service, or in bondage. Bronze represents judgment. Thus, this is a way of saying that he will walk with strength and in a circumspect manner. Verse 25 continues, as your days, so shall your strength be. This was one tough set of words. I'm going to tell you, it was very difficult. And according to your days, your saunter. That is my translation. Here is a word found only once in the Bible. Dove. It comes from an unused root, but it is akin to davav, which means to glide or to move gently. From that comes the word dove or bear, because when he walks, he glides easily over the terrain. If you've ever seen a bear in a distance, it looks like almost like they're just gliding. It's amazing to watch them go, and they can go very fast. Because of the difficulty of the word, almost every single translation goes with the Greek translation and say strength. My guess is that the Greek translators had no idea what to say, and they just simply said strength. The NASB departed from strength and said, your leisurely walk. That is probably closer to the intent, but it is somewhat of a paraphrase. To match the thought, but also the simplicity of the Hebrew, I say saunter. In other words, the entire verse is one united thought. Iron and bronze, your sandals, and according to your days, your saunter. Asher will saunter through life, his days, with strength and in a circumspect manner. I am convinced enough of this to tell you that you can pen it into the margin of your Bible with a note that this is probably the true intent of Moses' words. And I probably spent 45 minutes or more thinking this through, studying that word, and trying to figure out what is being said. And I do believe that's correct. Here's the breakdown of these verses. And to Asher, he said, A-A-B. And then another A-B after that. Blessed from sons Asher, may he be accepted, his brothers. And then B, and let him dip in the oil his foot. And then A-B, iron and bronze your sandals, and according to your days, your saunter. With that now complete, so are the blessings upon the tribes. From there, Moses will next complete his words to Israel. The next four verses are the last words recorded from Moses. There is none like the God, our God. He rides upon the heavens to help us. He protects us in every place that we trod. He is our Lord, the Christ, Jesus. Who is like him with the everlasting arms? And who causes us to in safety dwell? He keeps us from troubles and he saves us from harms. He has rescued us from the pit of eternal hell. There is none like the God, our God. A place of trust and hope he is for us. To his excellent majesty we shout and applaud. He is our Lord, our Savior, our joy. He is Jesus. Our second thought today, underneath are the everlasting arms. It's verses 26 through 29. Verse 26, there is no one like the God of Jeshurun. This is not a statement of fact about the Lord, but a statement about the God which is directed to Israel. Ain Kael Yeshurun. None according to the God, O Jeshurun. Moses is telling Israel that Jehovah is the God and that there is none like, meaning according to him. His nature and his being are completely unique. Moses is appealing for them to hear this, to grasp it, and to accept it for their own gaining of understanding and wisdom. Just this morning, I had somebody, he says he's from Pakistan, sometimes they set you up and they try to put you in a box and then they trap you, okay? But he emailed and I did what I always do. He wants to know about Christianity. Why do you believe in three gods? Why do you do this? And why do you do that? And I answered every one of his questions, okay? And the point that I gave him in each one of these is he needs to understand and grasp who is the God. Is it the Muslim's God? Is it the Hindu God? He says he's a Hindu, but he's influenced by many Muslims, and he wants to know. And so he might be setting me up, and he's just going to try to trap me at some point, or he might be truthfully interested. But the point is that just like Israel, people need to grasp who he is, what he is like, and to accept him for their own gaining of understanding and wisdom. It is he alone, verse 26 continues, who rides the heavens to help you. Rokev Shamayim Be'ezrecha rides heavens in your help. 
It is an expression that has been seen, such as in the pillar of cloud and fire, and it is an expression that will continue to be seen, such as in the chariots of the Lord that are mentioned repeatedly in various ways and contexts in the Old Testament. It is also an expression of the comings and goings of the Lord as he ascends and descends in both testaments of Scripture, culminating in the greatest expression of this on Israel's behalf. From Revelation 19, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, that's us folks, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Verse 26, and in his excellency on the clouds. And in his exaltation, clouds. Here are two new words. The first is ga'ava. It is from ga'a, meaning to rise up. Hence, it speaks of his state of majesty or grandeur. The next is shahak, meaning dust or cloud. It comes from a verb of the same spelling, which means to pulverize. As such, it is more than just the skies, but billowing particles in them as clouds. Probably the best mental image of these words now would be John's words which describe the coming of Christ from Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Think of them billowing around him. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. In his riding through the heavens, it is as if clouds billow around his splendor and majesty. What Moses has done with the speaking of this verse is to unite it with the opening words of the chapter. Verse 5, and he was in Jeshurun king, in gathering leaders people together, tribes, Israel. And then verse 26, none according to the God, O Jeshurun, rides heavens in your help and in his exaltation, clouds. The blessing upon the individual tribes has to be considered in relation to what leads into them and what follows them. Without the Lord, there would be no blessing. But because he is the Lord and because Israel is his people, he will never utterly forsake them, ever. Rather, verse 27, the eternal God is your refuge. Me'onah Elohe Kedem, dwelling God, ancient. It is a phrase filled with mental images. There is another new word here, me'onah. It is the feminine form of ma'on, or habitation, and it carries the same meaning. A habitation is a place of dwelling, rest, refuge, and so on. Along with that, Moses describes the Lord with the word kedem. It means east, and it signifies aforetime, because the sun rises in the east, coming from seemingly nowhere. Hence, it refers to that which is out of sight and unknowable, meaning eternity past. It is similar to the term that Daniel uses when he calls the Lord the Ancient of Days. What Moses is saying is that the Lord, the God of old, is a habitation. He has always been there, and he is a place of safety, security, and rest. To complement that, he next says, verse 27 continues, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Umitachat zerot olam, and from under arms everlasting. To our minds, the Lord is seen to have come from seemingly nowhere. He's always been there, even to the most ancient times, and in this indescribable existence, there is support with arms that continue on until a point that cannot be mentally grasped. The word olam does not necessarily mean everlasting, but to a point which is concealed and unknowable. In the case of God, it thus must mean everlasting. There is no beginning to the support, and there is no end to it. The arms are there, never failing to provide security to his people. And with those arms, verse 27 continues, he will thrust out the enemy from before you. And he casts out from your face enemy. The arm symbolizes power and exertion but also reach. 
the Lord has the power to support his people, but he also extends that power to remove the enemies of his people, casting those enemies out of their presence. Everything about what is said anticipates total assurance for his people, Israel. He will protect them, but against his enemies, there will be no hope. Verse 27 continues, and will say, destroy, vayomer hashmed, and says, destroy. Both the word of the previous clause, enemy, and the verb here are singular. It may be that this is referring to any enemy at any time, but it could be what Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians. I would think that this must ultimately be referring to death. The enemy that has been here since the beginning and who will continue until the time of the end. He is the final enemy to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Verse 28. Then Israel shall dwell in safety. Vayishkon Yisrael betach. And shall dwell Israel security. The conjunction is and, not then. There's no reason to assume that what is said here is a consequence of the previous verse, although that would certainly be the case. Rather, Moses is stating what will be for the tribes of Israel. They will dwell in safety, but it can only be referring to when they are right with him. There is a state of confidence and security that will exist because of their relationship with him. It is an ideal set forth. Right now, Israel is not dwelling in safety. They have no security. This is speaking of a time after right now. It is a goal that was attained at the time of Solomon, and it is one that will be realized in the millennium. When they are in a right standing with the Lord, this is the anticipated result. They will be in the land in safety, verse 28 continues, the fountain of Jacob alone. Badad and Yaakov, alone fountain Jacob. The word badad, or alone, is placed by some with the preceding clause and some with this one. Okay, different translations. Here's one. And Israel shall dwell in security alone, the fountain of Jacob, in a land of. Okay, or, and Israel shall dwell in security alone, the fountain of Jacob, in a land of. So you can see different translations will kind of divide it differently. I would think that the latter is correct. Thus, the two clauses would be in parallel. This is why it's so important to monitor the structure of the Hebrew coming out from Moses. If you know the parallel nature, you can more readily determine what is probably the case. And so it would be an A, A parallel. And Israel shall dwell in security alone, the fountain of Jacob in a land of. Okay, there you go. Either way, though, the thought is that of Jacob not being pestered by those who would do them harm. The term, the fountain of Jacob, is a reference to those who issue from him. As such, it is saying that he will be as a spring that goes forth, unmixed with and without the taint of other people groups. Israel, the people, is the fountain of Jacob. They will live alone, verse 28 continues, in a land of grain and new wine. El Eretz Dagan Vetirosh, unto land, grain, and new wine. The words speak of both abundance and consistency. There must be rain for these things to come, and so there is consistency of rain. But new wine speaks to that which is constant as well. If it is a land being described as one of new wine, then there must always be wine that is new. Hence, there is a continuous stream of it coming forth. It would then be considered a place of constant blessing. Verse 28 continues, His heavens shall also drop dew. Af shama ya'arfu tal. Yea, his heavens shall drop dew. The word heavens is third person masculine singular. His heavens. But who is this referring to? The entire verse has been about Israel. As such, it is speaking of Israel, not the Lord. The meaning is that the heavens above his land are his heavens. 
the heavens above Israel are destined to drop dew upon him, even if the heavens elsewhere do not drop dew upon their inhabitants. This is actually anticipated in the book of Zechariah when referring to the millennial reign of Christ. Here's what it says in Zechariah 14, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Israel's heavens will never fail to provide that which brings abundance and constant newness to the land, meaning the drop of the dew. Moses introduced the word araf or drop in verse 32 too. He now retires the word as well, this being the second and very last time that it is found in the Bible. With the many promised blessings noted upon the individual tribes and the nation as a whole, Moses now begins the last verse containing his words in scripture. Verse 29. Happy are you, O Israel. Asherecha Yisrael. Happy you, Israel. It is a new word in scripture, Esher. It is from the same root as the name Asher. It signifies both happy and blessed. If it were in another form, I would say that blessed would convey the idea better. However, Moses is using it as an interjection. As such, it is as if he is speaking in elation rather than merely as a statement of fact. You can almost see the joy exuding from him as he raises his hands and says, Happy you, Israel! With that exclamation, he then asks a question that begs a negative response. Verse 29 continues, Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? Who like you, people saved in Jehovah? Moses calls forth the words and was probably hoping to hear every voice around him say, Nobody, there is none like the God of Israel. And because Israel is his people, there is also none like him. With that understood, Moses notes that he is a people saved not merely by the Lord, but in him. This signifies a salvation that is both intimate and eternal. It is the term Paul uses again and again to describe the position of those in Christ. If you want to know about the doctrine of eternal security, just think of the words in Christ. Because when you believe, that is what you become according to Paul. Jesus Christ would have to cut off a part of himself in order for you to be unsaved. It's ridiculous on the surface to even consider it. Ridiculous. They are saved by him, meaning Israel, so that they are saved in him. Christ did the work, bringing us into himself. It is both an intimate and an eternal salvation. The same for Israel, the same for us. Verse 29 continues, the shield of your help. Magen Ezrecha, shield your help. The shield is a defensive weapon. The meaning then is that the Lord is there to defend Israel. As all of the words are in the second person, this does not mean that the Lord is a shield to every one of Israel, but he is a shield for Israel. The people, as a collective, will never be overrun and destroyed, ever, because the Lord is there to defend them. And if you are in Christ, like Israel, the people is in Christ, he is always there to defend and protect you. You cannot think it through a million times and then think it through again. You cannot lose your salvation yeah. also verse 29 continues and if you could jim you would <laughs> verse 29 continues and the sword of your majesty and who sword your exaltation it is the same word in verse 26 there it spoke of the exaltation of the lord now the same word refers to the lord as the sword of israel's exaltation he is to be Israel's place of boasting, his source of pride, and his place of highest rejoicing. 
because the Lord is the sword of Israel's exaltation. Because of this shield and sword, verse 29 continues, your enemies shall submit to you. And shall yield your enemies to you. Whether through death or subservience, the enemies of Israel will be unable to stand against him because the Lord is with him. There will be a complete yielding of themselves before the rushing onslaught. Moses says that it shall be so, and then he utters his final words of the Torah. Verse 29 finishes with, And you shall tread down their high places. Ve'ata al-bamotemo tidrok. And you, upon their high places, shall tread. The high places speak of the commanding positions, the strongholds, and the temples. It signifies the complete ruin of the enemy, including their high places of idolatry and false worship. Ultimately, this then speaks not only of Israel who occupy Canaan, but of the true Israel, Jesus. What they will failingly do in Canaan is what Christ will do entirely. He will bring to an end all authority, all power, and all dissent against God, even to the master of all of those things, Satan. You know, I was driving over the bridge today, coming up to 41 here before crossing over, and I was thinking that Satan is in complete control of our government right now, absolute and complete control over it. These people are going to be wiped out by the Lord Jesus unless they change their minds quickly. I'm going to tell you that right now. It's all going to be gone, and there is going to be a world without this nonsense pretty soon. As Paul says in Romans, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Romans 16, 20. These words complete all spoken utterances from Moses. Chapter 34 will detail his end, but there will be no words from him. His first words came in Exodus 2 when he was 40 years old. After another 40 years, he was called by the Lord to lead Israel out of bondage and into the land of promise. However, that will not come to pass. Instead, his successor, Joshua, will be the one to bring them in. There is a lesson in that for Israel, and there is a lesson in that for us as well. The law, pictured by Moses, cannot enter the inheritance, nor can it lead anyone into it. It was given as a stepping stone to Israel and as a lesson to us. What we need is something greater than the law can give to fallen, fallible man. We need the perfection of God. The law cannot provide that. It can only show us that we do not possess it, nor can we attain it through our own effort. But the perfection of the law can be bestowed upon us if we accept what the giving of the law was intended for us to learn. Moses will be taken to the top of a mountain, and he will see the land of promise before him, but he will not go in. We have a choice. Will we follow in the example of Moses, trust in our own efforts and die outside of the promise? Or will we trust in God who alone can bring us in? He sent Jesus from himself. Christ came. He lived under the law. He fulfilled the law and he entered into his glory. No person had done it before, showing us that the law could not save anyone. And now he offers of himself so that we also can enter into his glory. Moses accomplished his duties and he will receive his reward. But as a typological representation of the law, he provides us with the warning. Do not trust in me. Trust in the Lord. He can bring you in and he will bring you in if you just have faith. The words of Moses are ended. The word of the Lord and the word of God are eternal. Please take this lesson to heart. We've been going through these sermons now for like 10 years. I think it was 2011. I think I told somebody this past week it was 2010. I think it was October of 23rd of 2011 we started Genesis 1. Doesn't matter a year one way or another. It's been a long haul. Okay, we're about to come to the end of it. And I can tell you that the lesson that we have learned in every single sermon, if you've paid attention, is that we need Jesus. All of these things just keep compounding. I'm telling you what, introduce this guy, introduce that, introduce this form of worship, introduce that. And it's all telling us about Jesus, right? We've got, in the beginning, it says that God created man in his image, Bethlehem. And then he picks a guy named, what's his name? Um, uh, Bezalel. Okay, thank you. Thank you for helping me. 
Okay. God took and created man in his image, Bezalel. And then what did he do? He picked somebody named Bezalel, Bezalel, in the image to make a tabernacle in the image of what he was going to do in Jesus Christ. And all of that tabernacle pointed to Jesus Christ, the wood that was used, the gold that was used, the measurements, the colors, everything. It's all pointing to him. And then he introduces Aaron. He pictures the high priest Jesus, but in a fallible way. Aaron can't attain the inheritance. Moses says this. Moses does that. Aaron fails at this. The Levites fail at that. All the way through, we're being given a lesson. Don't trust in what God is showing you here. Trust in what God is pointing to with these types and shadows. Jesus. If you want to enter into glory, all you need to do is trust in Jesus. And that Muslim Hindu guy that emailed me this morning asked, how do I become a Christian? That's going to be my answer when I get a chance this afternoon. I'm going to tell him the same thing I told him in the first email. You've already heard me explain why God did it. Now I want you to accept what he did. He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. I'm not going to give him any other nonsense because that is the gospel. Now I'm going to tell him, you need to admit that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself, and that you understand that God sent his son to do it for you. If you can do that, give up on your 350 million Hindu gods and give up on your one false Muslim God and trust in the true God and you will be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's all I'm going to tell him. I'm not giving him any more information. And then if he asks more questions, I'll keep answering them all day long. But he wants to know how to become a Christian. That's all he's going to get. Not a bunch of nonsense about going to church and giving tithes and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to hear that. He's going to hear the simple gospel, okay? And that's what you need to hear as well. Please accept that Jesus died for your sins. I told somebody about Jesus this week, expecting no response at all from this guy. And when I got done, he gave me a big, fat hug. He just, he was overwhelmed. It's his choice. He's the one that's got to ultimately receive him. But I think with that response, he probably did, you know? I'm not one to force somebody into a, a prayer of confession. They've got it, that's got to come from his heart. But I think it did. We'll, we'll know someday. Anyway, got a closing verse here for you. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The law, the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Let us be sure to get our theological boxes straight. It's important. Next week is Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 12. I will try to practice this extra this week because I don't want to break down in front of you. It's going to mean a lot to me that we're finishing up Deuteronomy. Moses will die in Moab and be buried without any fanfare. As for Canaan, Moses, you shall not cross over there. That'll be our 104th and final Deuteronomy sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, I've got a question for you. This is going to be bizarre. But I've been giving you sermons and I've been... Yeah, they're all bizarre. Yeah. Because I'm a bizarre guy. I've been reading the Hebrew for you forever. Okay? I will just read some of it right now. Naftali seva ratzon uma... Okay, these particles in Hebrew are connected to the word, so they're not really technically a separate word. But like when I say, uh, where was it? Vedarom uh, and darom. It's one word, but it's actually two to us when we translate it. Okay, so you've been watching these for sermon after sermon after sermon ad nauseum. And I want to see if any of you can remember one of the particles. Okay? And we do the same thing here. Okay, don't get me wrong. What are you doing today? We don't really say today. We say today. It's like we have a little what do you call it? A semicolon or whatever that thing is there. So we do the same thing when we cut things out. And we do it in other parts of our language as well. But what is the particle in Hebrew 
for in. I said it today. But what is the particle? What is the Hebrew particle? Is it L? Is it V? Is it U? Is it B? Is it, what is it? Nobody paid attention. Okay, I've been doing this now for, what the reason why I think this is important is because now that I'm telling you this, in the future, if you listen to what I'm reading to you, you will be able to understand the structure of the Hebrew. Okay? It's B. When you say Betzalem, I said in the image. I even gave you a clue a while ago. Betzalem. When you see the B, that is in. Now, it may be translated by or something else by some translators, but it's always going to mean in. When you see the M, like me, me, uh, mikadem, from the east. So when you see me, you know it's from. So when I'm translating these, from now on out, I want you to look at the translation. And that will help you to understand the structure of the Hebrew. You see a V, you know it's and. But U is also and because it's the same letter. It's just if it's in front of a vowel, it's different than a consonant. But pay attention to these and you will learn how to structure what I'm telling you. And pretty soon, you're going to get excited about it, and I'll bet you you're going to want to do your own translations. I'll bet you. I'm not kidding. Oh, I got head shaking. No. You will. You will. I am certain of this. Remember that the particle B is in. Nobody gets a ride on. I'm going to take it out all by myself over the Gulf today. Okay. Moses blesses Israel, part four. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, satisfied with favor, delights in your mouth, and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the west and the south. And of Asher, he said, Asher is most blessed of sons, happy is he with his spoil. Let him be favored by his brothers, and let him dip his foot in oil. Your sandals shall be iron and bronze, strong and mighty. As your days, so shall your strength be. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you, and in his excellency on the clouds. He is faithful, and he is true. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you, and will say, Destroy! To them shall come many harms. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone. It is true. In a land of grain and new wine, his heavens shall also drop too. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and of your majesty, the sword. Your enemies shall submit to you when they see your faces, and you shall tread down their high places. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful word. And thank you for having selected Moses a man that followed you and was faithful to you except in one incident. But that one incident was enough to form the picture that we were to see. We cannot enter into glory through our own works of the law. We can only enter in because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you that he did it and that we can just simply trust in him. Trust in what he has done. Display a little bit of faith and we will be saved and with you forever. What a great God you are. What a wonderful creator you are to have done these things for us when we were without any hope or help in the world. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.